And I want to thank members for, for coming and, and understanding the change of our normal slot was a, a necessitated by circumstances beyond our control. And uh, I, hope, I hope members uh, will understand that there are days like that. We're all from the SONA debate and, uh, and from the reply. I hope at an appropriate time when we'll be preparing for our budget speech, we'll then be able to pick up on the issues that have been raised in, in SONA, which are then a, a pointer to, to us. And I think by that, we're going to have a busy, a very busy year in moving forward, I think even towards the end of our term. Having said that, honorable members, we'll go straight to the, to the house uh, rules. And welcoming everybody, I see the, the DM is also here. He has joined us. I'll head over to Mr. Sagaza for him to take us through the roll call. Thank you very much, Mr. Over to you, Mr. Sagaza. Uh, thank you, Honorable Chair, and uh, good afternoon to all members and uh, the Ministry and the Department of Employment and Labor. Uh, Chair, today we have from the Portfolio Committee on Employment and Labor the following members. We've got the, yourself, Chair, Honorable Dunjwa, Honorable Zuma, Honorable Makubele, Honorable Ndabe, and we're also joined by Honorable Jacobs, we also have Honorable Bagram, Honorable Cardo, Honorable Mkonto, Honorable Denner, and Honorable Nobo Chair. That's from members. And then from the support staff, we've got myself, Chair, uh, Mr. Nobo, Content Advisor, Ms. Ndabeni, Content um, Committee Assistant, Mr. Maputi, Communications Officer, Mr. Mkwena, uh, the Researcher Chair. I see Honorable Nonsele is just joining in, Chair. So we've got Honorable Nonsele as well. Thank you, Chair. That's all from my side. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Sakaza. DM uh, your team. Oh, but I don't see the DG. DM. Thank you, Chair. Oh, afternoon. Uh, uh, Chairperson, um, I am here myself. Uh, the DG um, did speak to me earlier on, and, and I, I take it that he said he was going to uh, communicate with the chairperson uh, because uh, he just uh, got a call that his wife has been admitted in hospital, so he was flying out, uh, rushing to uh, to Deng, and... Um, over and above that, Honorable Chairperson, amongst us we have uh, we have uh, the Commissioner for Compensation Fund, and uh, uh, and uh, uh, we have uh, the Director, uh, Executive Director from uh, CCMA, Dade Morajani. Uh, uh, it's not Mohajani, it's Morajani. Uh, I think amongst us also, we've got uh, Karabo Mahajani uh, from our office. Uh, we have also 
Um, I think we have also our chief of staff from the ministry, Ntate Kangala Mudumela, from the ministry, and uh, those that I might not have seen. Um, I did mention, uh, oh, we got also Ntate Tandoa Baba. I have mentioned our commissioner from uh, Compensation Fund, and I think uh, as they speak, they will also introduce those who come from uh, uh, CF and those who come from CCMA. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you, thank you, thank you, GM. Uh, Welcome, Honorable Jacobs, and uh, we know that uh, you, you are a regular in our committee, and we appreciate that. We so wish other members can also can also do the same. And uh, you you are welcome. You feel free to to ask questions. Uh, you know what rules are then saying in terms of if there are other areas that will need us to vote. Unfortunately, you won't be able to do that. But in terms of uh, in terms of participating, you are free to do that. I'm of the understanding that uh, Mr. Sakazo have got visitors here. Can they introduce themselves, please? Because I don't want to be seen as being harsh. I don't know why visitors of late are, are refusing to introduce themselves which means those that are not coming from the department, no parliament, or mem- they are not members of, 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 of parliamentary staff, uh, and they are not members of, of, of either of any of the houses. I see there's somebody from PMG who is just not prepared to, for us to, to know that she is here. I see she has then now, she's out, which then that is that is fine, if that's how they. So uh, when, when, when okay. then, come again? Sorry, I'm saying from PMG, I think she's raised her hand, it's Roselle Vincent. Maybe she wanted to introduce herself. Yes, ma'am. Ms. Fensel, your hand is up. Hello. Okay. Apologies, Chairperson, can you hear me? Yes, can you hear you. Hi, I'm Rosal Fensel, and I'm the monitor from PMG, the Parliamentary Monitoring Group. Thank you. Thank you. The others, when then the the entities are making presentation. They will they will then indicate who is from who is from. Uh, thank you very much, uh, 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 GM. The the DG did call me, indicated that yes he has got that uh, agent uh, family responsibility that she had here to attend, and I I then said then that is fine. I think we all we are all aware, honourable members, that the minister has attended a a, a a meeting, a summit in Botswana, so that's why he is not uh, with us. 
I, I, I think I remember it's important that I start here before the compensation fund make a presentation. First, I want to, to appreciate those of us that logged in yesterday in a meeting that uh, the, the, the department was called uh, to SCOPA uh, to come and respond to some questions and make some presentation, which was then the compensation fund. We were, we were, we were some of us were there. And that, that sitting was necessitated by the AG's report that the SCOPA had a preview of. Unfortunately with us, we are only going, we are meeting the Auditor General next week. Members must remember that compensation fund and UIF at the time that they were to present last time that we got that they have not yet been, they are, they are, they have not been able to, the AG was not able to conduct uh, uh, the, 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 the audit and they then wrote to the office of the speaker and then that was accepted, but it has then been, fin it, it has then been completed now. And it is in that, that, it, that we are then going to meet them next week. I am humbly requesting for those of us that were in the meeting of, at that meeting of SCOPA and compensation fund that if there are questions, obviously we will have some, some questions that will be interested to ask in relation to what was asked uh, in terms of what uh, was tabled by, by the Auditor General to SCOPA. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to ask those now. We will ask those questions when then the Office of the Auditor General has come and make has made presentation to us next week. That will be next week, the 23rd. And I want to say it up front today so that members prepare themselves that the meeting of the 23rd is going to start at 8 o'clock, precisely because we have got two important issues. And we'll then start with the with the presentation from the Auditor General in terms of the audit that was conducted, uh, the Office of the uh, I mean, the Entity of Compensation Fund and UIF. So I just want to to clear that so that we don't uh, 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 for those of us that were there, we don't we are not then tempted to want to make a to check with the compensation fund on issues that were raised in, in the meeting yesterday. Having said that, I will then hand over, then Honorable Jacobs, mute, please. I will hand over then to the to the DM if there are any, any uh, overview. And immediately after DM, Commissioner Mafata will then uh, uh, make his presentation. Thank you very much. Honorable Jacobs, can you please mute? Thank you, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Um, um, I will show my face and switch off the video because 
the, uh, we've got an unstable, uh, a very unstable uh, network around here. If you allow me, Honorable Chair, to switch off my video. Uh, thank you, Honorable Chairperson, Honorable Members. Uh, um, uh, thank you so much for the opportunity already. Uh, Honorable Chairperson has put forward an apology of our minister who's out of uh, the country and that of our DG who's uh, uh, rushing home for um, family responsibility. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, honorable members of the Portfolio Committee, uh, our Compensation Fund Commissioner and uh, Director from uh, CCMA, all our senior officials who are present in this session. Um, um, indeed, uh, Honorable Chairperson, we are bringing Compensation Fund and CCMA to brief the Portfolio Committee on their performance between uh, the 1st of April 2021 to 30 June 2021. And this two entities will indicate to the portfolio committee the number of uh, targets uh, that they have set for the period under review and which ones uh, uh, they have managed to achieve. And I must indicate, honorable members, that uh, uh, and, and honorable chairperson, that we take the work of this committee not just a mere compliance, but also as a push for improvement. So the deliberations that take place during our interactions are taken very seriously and they are of great help in providing uh, compensation uh, for uh, disablement caused by injuries or uh, diseases sustained or contracted by employees in the context of compensation fund. And I'm raising this chairperson uh, and honorable members, uh, because we are all our, uh, here because we want to ensure that South Africans receive services that they deserve from the state. For instance, the compensation fund is responsible for the compensation and pension benefits, medical benefits and disability care and rehabilitation. And these service uh, offerings uh, qualify a compensation fund to a status of an institution. Uh, so this institution ought to contribute in the building of capable, ethical, and developmental state. And where there are some glitches, weaknesses, they need to be attended to. And the manner in which they get tackled uh, should never follow the approach of throwing the baby with the bathwater. Uh, what needs to happen is to identify that which is a problem, isolate it, and solve it. Uh, Honorable Chairperson, one thing that we pride ourselves of is openness and transparency. We approach parliament committees, not only this one, with openness and transparency. And one of the reasons why we do that among many is that we are very much aware that we have uh, no monopoly of wisdom. So we are always eager, honorable chairperson and honorable members to tap on your collective wisdom and very ready to be empowered ourselves. So, Honourable Chairperson and Honourable Members, there are problems within the compensation fund that is a fact, and these problems are being addressed, and that is another fact. And they are also being addressed by the committee, your committee, Honourable Chairperson and Honourable Members. And the fact that uh, Honourable Members and this committee took a decision to monitor uh, on a regular basis the audit action plan on compensation fund. And as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact we were before this committee on the 2nd of February uh, this year, as, as also the chairperson has alluded to, uh, that is a week before last, uh, and where uh, uh, 
honorable committee members were scrutinizing the progress or, or lack thereof of compensation fund and uh, audit action plan itself. Compensation fund presented to your honorable selves and indicated what more this uh, uh, entity ought to still do uh, to addressing historical problems and those that are current. Uh, we are on that path, and of course now Compensation Fund is here to brief the committee uh, of its first quarter performance, and CCMA will also do the same. Uh, and I'm sure, honorable uh, members, at some point we will need to give ourselves, uh, like I said, we will need to give ourselves some time uh, to discuss these uh, historical challenges that are there, uh, as to what can be a remedy uh, the situation in compensation funds to make sure that we do away with those historical uh, challenges. CCMA uh, is going to tell you, honorable members, that in their first quarter of 2021-2022 referred cases were 38,830 compared to 24,009 in 2020 and 2021 financial year. And settlement rates in the first quarter of 2021-2022 was 79%, whilst in the first quarter of 2020-2021, it was 78%. So there's a, a slight improvement of a percentage there. And the turnaround time in relation to arbitration in 2021-2022 first quarter was 44 days and up by one day, uh, if you compare it to 2020-2021 um, uh, first quarter, honorable members. So allow me, honorable chairperson, to give over to uh, uh, the officials to take you through further details in relation to the period under review. Thank you so much, honorable chairperson and honorable members for your audience. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, DM. Over to you, Mr. Mafata. Thank you, Chair. Chair, I'll start. If you allow, Chair, can I also just, after the introductions, switch off my camera just so that we don't have a network issue? Um, I, I am I hope, sorry, I, I hope we won't have network issue as, as it transpired yesterday. Please, please, please. We'll try our utmost here to make sure that we don't have. Chair, I am with the Executive Committee of the Compensation Fund. Uh, with me on, in the meeting today is Ms. Buitimolo Gumbu, uh, Ms. Fazana Fakir, Mr. Johnny Mudiba, Mr. Julian Supen, Ms. Katlehone Bepe, Ms. Kinelo Nkabinde, Ms. Mili Reuters, and Ms. Uh, Slindile Mflungu. Who are all members of the executive committee of the uh, of the fund responsible for portfolios? Chair, I'll just jump straight into the presentation. I'll then just switch off my video for, to make sure that the network doesn't cause any issues. Chair, the presentation. I'm going to jump straight to the quarterly performance, which is at uh, from point number six to point number uh, number nine. The first points one, two, three, four, are points that are already known to uh, to the committee that we always reflect in our presentations, Chair. So if you allow us that at slide number 11, which uh, then shows the summary of the performance of the compensation fund for the period ending 31 December, 2021. In the annual performance plan, we have 19 indicators 
Uh, of these 19 indicators, eight of them are indicators with targets that are reporting uh, in quarter one of uh, apologies. So the reporting period is the 30th of June, 20, uh, 2021, which is the first quarter of the 2021-2022 financial year. So in quarter one, we had eight indicators that were due for reporting. And uh, of these eight indicators, we were able to uh, achieve six of them and two of them were not achieved. The two areas where we have not achieved the indicators was one under program one, which is administration. I'll give the details in the later slides. And then the second one was in program two, which is the quiet services, which is the uh, area where we deal with registration and application of claims, as well as assessment of, uh, of employers. And the other two uh, programs relating to medical services and rehabilitation we were able to achieve all the targets that we were due for reporting as at 30 June 2021. In program one, these are just some of the indicators that are reporting annually that we, were not, we will not be reporting on uh, in this particular quarter. When we move to the next slide, it just shows also the first indicator that was due for reporting in quarter one was 1.7, which is the percentage of implementation of programs that are in the approved visibility and accessibility strategy. Now, this is a strategy that we've put in place to focus on increasing the reach of the fund to clients, both physically as well as through technology. And so we have various programs that we put in place that we then measure ourselves to make sure that we are reaching out to clients whenever there is uh, any need for access to our services. So the target was that we had to implement about 15% of the plan or the strategy by June. And as at the end of June, 16% of the strategy had been um, implemented. The second one that was due for reporting in uh, quarter one was uh, 1.10, which is the percentage reduction in the vacancy rate following the uh, reconfiguration of the compensation fund and the restructuring. We had created a number of new positions that we needed to fill. And that together with also posts that become vacant as we continue to fill some of the posts, either with through promotion internally and also where people leave also for other uh, entities of state. We had the target uh, to reduce the vacancy rate to about 15% by quarter one. And to uh, by quarter one, we had, could only get to about 16%, which was below the, um, the target that we had set for quarter one. Though the annual target is to make sure that we are below 10% by end of the financial year. 1.11 was around the monitoring work that we do on those that have been licensed in terms of Section 30 of COIDA to render COID services to uh, clients in the mining, iron and steel, as well as construction sector. We then had the targets to make sure that the quarterly reports uh, that we do, we use for monitoring, these are reported, are submitted and uh, dealt with by the board of the compensation fund. So this was done, Jim. When it comes to program two, there was uh, one indicator that we did not achieve. This indicator relates to percentage uh, of claims adjudicated within 30 working days. We received 31,489 claims and only about 25,000 of these claims were adjudicated within 30 working days of receipt. The challenges here continue to be two things. One is the um, 
continued non-compliance by employers in terms of making sure that when they submit claims, they submit complete claims. So if the claim is not complete, claims handlers are not able to attend to a claim speedily because we then have to spend time reaching out to the employer and uh, getting the employer to submit whatever information that we need to process the claim. So we have a large number of claims that then sit with status of awaiting information and we can only adjudicate those that we receive um, claims. And number two, also the fact that in some cases, uh, reaching out to employers proves difficult because of the middlemen that they use who in turn do not get the message and the information to the employer for their services or for the documents that the compensation would require for whatever reason that they have. The 2.3 was also reportable in quarter two. We have been able to achieve this. This is the percentage of approved benefits that are paid within five working days. We had, by end of June, about a billion rands in benefits had been approved for payment and we were able to pay those about 966 million of those within five working days of receipt. So that makes it about 95% against the target that we had set of making sure that 90%. So we do set a target of 90% to allow for instances where we have downtimes, which may impact on the ability to pay so that um, we then build enough room for such instances. Under program three, we had two indicators, both of them had been achieved. First one was under percentage of requests for pre-authorizations of specialized medical interventions that are finalized within 10 working days of receipt. These are pre-authorizations where injured workers, be it those that are currently in treatment or those ones that have had treatment, but they have, they do require some uh, medical procedure to be undertaken on them. They then submit through their medical practitioners the request for pre-authorization. We received about 2,517 of these in the first quarter, and we were able to deal with about 2,418 of these within um, five working days. Um, the next one is on the percentage of accepted medical invoices finalized within 40 working days. The, we had received about 146,000 medical invoices by end of June. And of these 1,000, of these about 123,440 were finalized and paid within uh, 40 working days, which gives us a achievement of about 84% versus the target of 80% that uh, we had set. While we see a major improvements with regards to processing of medical claims and invoices, uh, but this 84% could actually be much higher if we get uh, instances where, where medical practitioners submit the medical reports that are required and also submit invoices that are in line with the requirements of the fund as well as with the injuries of those that they have treated to minimize any delays in, in, in payments. But we are happy with the progress that we've made so far. If you go to program four, program four, the one indicator that reports for end of quarter four was the percentage of a compliant requests for assistive devices that needs to be finalized within 50 working days. This is an indicator that deals with uh, instances where those that are injured at work need to be given assistive devices, be it is a wheelchair, um, prosthetic limbs or prosthetic uh, arms and so on. So medical practitioner will submit the request. 
and uh, our orthotics, uh, orthotists and uh, occupational therapists would then have 15 days within which they need to respond to these requests after having scrutinized the request and made sure that the request is in the interest of the injured worker and the device that is being requested is a device that will be able to assist the injured worker to um, continue to enjoy normal uh, quality of life that they had enjoyed prior to the injury. And the, we have received about 307 of these requests by end of June, and about 300 of them had been uh, finalized within 15 working days, which gives us a 98% turnaround time versus the 85% target that we had set for quarter, for quarter one. Uh, this just shows then the slides in terms of the, those key performance indicators in terms of how we performed versus the target. These are the items that I've already showed and you can see that it's only one area of all the um, service delivery the targets where we were not able to meet the target, which is the one relating to adjudication of claims within 30 working days. All the others were able to exceed the, the target. This just then compares the trend where we were at quarter one of 2020-2021, this is where we were in quarter one of 2021-2022. Uh, you can see that it's 50% last year for the same period, and now we are down 75% this year. The part of the, 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 the issues with regards to those indicators where we've not been able to achieve, first one, I've, uh, it's the issues around vacancy rates where we have a uh, limited resources that we've been able to use to deal with the um, restructuring and making sure that all these posts that have been recreated are filled and so on. So what we've done, we've developed a recruitment turnaround plan, make sure that we get to less than 10% by end of the year, and we're already starting to see the fruits of that plan where we prioritize specific uh, positions and uh, reduce the turnaround time within which we administratively deal with the appointment process. And also the issues of adjudication of claims. Uh, I spoke about the information that, uh, limited information that sometimes accompanies claims, which leads to delays in adjudication of claims. We're working with provinces to follow up with employers and we do reach out to employers. We've appointed client service officers in the labor centers and the client service officers in the labor centers have been assisting the claims handlers to make, reach out to employers to get the right uh, documentation that would enable the fund to be able to make a decision on the claim. This just provides the, the next subsequent slides just shows us the provincial breakdown in terms of the, the core service delivery indicators. First one being on the prioritizations for medical interventions. As you can see, all nine provinces were able to meet the target and then the breakdown just shows. You can see how Ting is the biggest of the provinces followed by Eastern Cape and uh, KZN, Eastern Cape, as well as um, the uh, Western Cape. So these are the, are the big uh, provinces in terms of numbers that sees a lot of COVID clients as well. And then we have also the target relating to medical invoices finalized within 40 working days. We can see that uh, the performance there, how can still the biggest KZN, um, Western Cape, and uh, the Eastern Cape, and, and in Mpumalanga. So what we're seeing is only three provinces that have not been able to meet the target, Gauteng, Limpopo, and the head of his team, what they do when they assist provinces where there's invoices that require attention, that either information was not sub submitted at the time when the claim came in, 
they're able to then work through some of these claims and assist provinces to sweep um, some of these invoices. So we don't really track and measure their performance, but they do what they do. That the 80% is just a reflection of what they've been able to assist the provinces with. Gauteng and Limpopo, we have put them on a performance improvement plan to address a, a number of areas where they are falling short. Um, and uh, we can see that the uh, with with Gauteng, with we will see the results pretty soon. And Limpopo will continue to work with them to make sure that they also can come to the party. Under 85% of claims adjudicated within 30 working days of receipt. So this just shows the breakdown. So also when you look at the volume of invoices that we get versus the number of claims for each of the province, we can see that there is a corresponding trend. And we can see that Gauteng East is the biggest uh, province, Western Cape and uh, the Eastern Cape. In fact, the Western Cape is the biggest. So percentage of claims that have been adjudicated within 30 working days, we can see that only three provinces were able to meet the target and uh, which is how KZN and Bumalanga as well as the Western Cape, all the other provinces have uh, fallen short and we are continuing to address that issue of uh, claims information that is disadvantaging um, this, the satisfactory uh, turnaround times for the adjudication of claims. The lockdown period we've had over the last uh, couple of months also have contributed because in most cases, when you reach out to employers, you find that with the work from home arrangements, at the time the employers are able to turn around and give you the information, the time would have lapsed because we haven't had a lot of people back in the offices physically. With the relaxation of the alert level one, we're seeing a lot of people going back to work and we're confident that these information, the quality of claims and the quality of information that we get from employers will improve because everybody is now back in the office and we're able to get the claims, uh, full information on the claims. The 85% of compliant assistive devices comply, responded to within 15 working days. This shows the breakdown for so, uh, each of the provinces and we can see that uh, all provinces have achieved the the target and uh, the numbers as well still reflects the same size of provinces, Houting, KZN, uh, Western Cape uh, and Eastern Cape also being among the biggest, Limpopo, Bumalanga as well. Um, so that's the, I'll end my um, presentation here. The next slides are just a repeat of the information that I've already presented in terms of the breakdown of the performances of the provinces. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, thank you, uh, uh, Commissioner. Any, thank you, Commissioner. Can I, can we then get uh, questions, honourable members? Any takers? I'm trying to check hands. I see one hand. I'm still checking for the other hand. All right, Honorable Mkondo. Thank you. Good afternoon, uh, Chair and Honorable Members, the Deputy Minister and um, her team. Um, Chair, um, we take note 
We take note of what you have said that the compensation fund is still coming with the uh, with the uh, after the HS report and um, but I I had been a little bit taken aback when the deputy minister was making comments on the um, some of the things that transpired uh, yesterday, be that as it may. Um, Chair, um, I have questions and comments. Uh, my first question will be to the commissioner as to the does the compensation fund has any outstanding claims that were approved and were not paid from the previous system that are older than 12 months or even uh, uh, two years. Because what I get from the presentation uh, is not um, what uh, people out there that needs to be serviced by the compensation fund um, are, are saying. And uh, Chair, to say, I'm not surprised to see Lipompo as one of the provinces that are registered as being um, underperforming. There was, Chair, I, I, I once raised the question to the department itself to say, uh, people are complaining in Lipompo that they are made to sleep at the gates of the labor centers. And I was promised that uh, that matter will be investigated and um, uh, 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 answers will be given. Uh, but we, we can see here with the compensation fund that um, uh, Lipopo is still in the rates. Uh, the possibility is that they are still giving people numbers they are still making our people to sleep at their gates. They are still giving people quotas to say today we're going to service maybe 10 or 15 people thereafter. Uh, some of you have to come the next morning because that is what I presented uh, in the uh, uh, during one of our meetings with the department. And I even made a member statement where farm workers were not assisted by the Pulukwane Labor Center uh, with regard to the UIF in 2020. I made a, a member statement um, last year, fortunately with that one, because the, the office of the minister took the matter. Those workers were able uh, to be assisted. But then, Chair, it cannot be that when things have to be done, then the minister has to be hands-on. It cannot be. So these provinces that are underperforming, we really need to, to, to take a, a stand as the committee as to exactly what is it that must be done to uh, the managers of these labor centers. Thanks, Chair. Thank you, Ayavurum Kondo. I think that was the only hand. The second one, Honorable uh, Jacobs. Honorable Jacobs. Thank you, thank you, Chair. Just quickly, I think uh, 
I also want to, um, we have a labor center on the Cape Flats here in Athlon, and we also experienced similar problems with a, with a, a sense of an uncaring department. So um, I, my question is also very simple. Um, is there consequence management for non-performing or dysfunctional labor centers? Um, is the DJ and the department, uh, what's the improvement plan? I think the question is, thank you. Uh, thank you, Abel Jacobs. Can you please, honorable members, lower your hands? Chairperson. Honorable Zuma. Thank you, Chairperson. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, Chairperson, uh, does the department have a plan to address under the achievement the number of employees inspected per year to determine compliance with the employment with the employment law due to the high rate due to the high rate in the provinces? Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, thank you, Honorable Zuma. Uh, I don't see any other hand. Honorable Mafata. I'm sorry, Mr. Mafata. Mr. Mafata. Thank you, Chair. Apologies, Chair. Over to you. Thank you, thank you, Chair. Let me just start with Honorable Mafata's question. So we have various categories of claims, as I indicated. So we have claims where an employer would have submitted the claim and the claim would have been registered and a claim number allocated, but the progress medical reports and the uh, other claim questionnaires and information that needs to support the claim would not have been submitted. So we migrated, so from the old system, all claims that were in the old system, we migrated them to, um, to the Compisi system. So there is no claim that we left behind. Um, of the claims that we have currently in Compisi, if I look at the latest reports, there's about 108,000 claims, including those that we migrated from the old system that are currently on the status of waiting for information. So meaning either the information would not come because either the person had a minor injury and that person went back to work, there is no um, medical or progress medical report or any medical claims that needs to, to come forward. And in some cases, it may be instances of non-compliance by employers. So the teams work through these claims and we have had a number of projects to call for information. We had a public a process to call for information and ask people to come forward. And these are some of the programs that we have in place to assist and to work with uh, even organized labor to reach out and have campaigns that uh, help employees to come forward if they have any claim that has been registered with the fund and has not been attended to because of any outstanding information. The issues, I think, around the Popo and the, I think I'll that question with Jacob's question as well around the performance of labor centers. I know that the chief operations officer in the department has a program with the provinces in terms of monitoring of performance of provinces, and there is a close monitoring, even the DG at a departmental executive committee level 
the labor center heads, the provincial heads also then report on their performance. And when there is areas for a, a need for a performance improvement, then we together for those provinces that happens. And then when there's a need for support to be provided by any of the branches of the department or the funds, uh, that support gets provided to make sure that we assist the provinces to get to that uh, performance level. Um, the pandemic also has had an impact on the functioning of the provinces as well and uh, the operations of the funds and the department as a whole. So you may find that in some cases, labor centers close because of a need to uh, decontaminate the buildings and so on. And these things tend to happen and affect the, the service delivery. But I think the issue of service delivery is at the utmost of the DG and the uh, executive team and the department. Thank you very much. No, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, 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 Commissioner Mafat. GM, uh, is there anything that you want to raise before we go to, to the next presentation? Yes. By the looks, uh, she is not here. Uh, can we then get a, a presentation from the executive director from CCMA? My head is up. Oh, sorry. Uh, Honorable Kondo. Uh, thanks, Chair. Chair, I... I... I don't think my question was um, uh, fully answered. My question is of claims that were migrated and that are there claims that are older than 12 months or two years. Uh, they, they, they are migrated, yes, but do we still have them in our system not concluded? Yes. Mr. Mafata? Thank you, Chair. question. Yes, yes, Chair. So the answer is yes, Chair. It is those claims, Chair. That is the response, Honorable Member. Yes, they still have those claims. Can we... Okay. Is the TM still around? In the absence of the deputy minister, I thought to, can we then? Uh, uh, I'm here, I'm here, Chair. I'm, I'm, on, I'm, on I'm here, Chairperson. Over to you, TM. Hello. Yes, I can hear. Uh, sorry, sorry. My apologies, Honorable Chair. I, I had not, I missed what was, uh, remember I'm using a small gadget. Uh, um, actually, uh, it's, it's giving me grief. I'm using a phone instead of a thing, so I might have missed some of the things. Uh, can the Chair please put me up to speed on, on, on what should I respond to? No, no, I thought uh, you, you have missed the questions that have been asked. Uh, not not all of them. I, I think I've heard uh, what uh, Honorable Mkondo was saying about what I said, 
but I, I think the other issues that are, are, are that I've, I I might have uh, um, been able to catch on, uh, I should think that the the commissioner will be able also to to respond fully on some of those things. I might not necessarily be able to give uh, 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 full details on some of the specific questions that might have been asked. So if it is possible, honourable chairperson, uh, we can give to the commissioner to respond to some of the questions. No, the, the commissioner has responded. I would, I would have thought that there is something that we would like to add. In the, no, in no, the, not, not, not for now, now, Chair. Maybe at the end okay. of the meeting, maybe I might say something. Okay. Thank CCMA. you so much. CCMA, are you ready? Uh, good afternoon, Chairperson, uh, the Deputy Minister, and, and members of Parliament and my fellow colleague on the other on the other side. I'm gonna to try to if video is is giving me a problem, Chairperson. <clears throat> um, can the chairperson see my presentation? We can see your presentation. Can we see your face? Yeah, I'm trying to do so, Chairperson. Is it, is it showing now? Yeah, it is. It's fine. Okay. Thank you. Um, I'm not going to Uxiva Nepal again. Right. It's on full screen now, Chaperson. All right. And goes. Chaperson, with your permission, um, maybe first let me start with the introduction of the team that is with me today. Um, it is tradition. Uh, for us um, in honor and respect of members of parliament to make sure that when we present to you, we're in a position to answer all questions that arise, including technical ones. And we always bring the full complement of the team so that we can be at your service. And today is exactly the same. I have Anna Mukharinyana, who is responsible for the governance and strategy I have Umaria Skotze, who is the National Senior Commissioner of Dispute Resolutions. This is where cases are done in the different provinces. He oversees the provinces. And then I have Okiriboni Mashahomu, who is the Chief Financial Officer of the CCMA. And again, Chairperson, with your permission, uh, she will represent the financials and I will, I will enhance or supplement if anything is required in that regard. And then I have Unkosi Konankosi, who is the, uh, the, the chief um, ICT um, of the CCMA. Um, and then we've got Umtembeni Nanano, who is responsible for corporate services. Your HR and legal services is sitting there. Then we have Uzanele Shope, who is the chief audit executive responsible for internal audit at the CCMA. And then finally, I have Asandam Kaka, who is the city manager in the director's office. Chairperson, this is the team I lead that is at your service for presentation for today. Chairperson, in addition to that, before I, I go into the meat of the presentation, um, I will not go into the general slides that talk about our statutory power and objectives and our pillars we always present that, but if there are any questions, we will deal with that. I'll just go straight to the meat of the presentation of the quarter 
in question. Now, this specific quarter, Chairperson, you will note, and members, you will note that the focus of that quarter has to do with a very important component that was created by Parliament through the Labor Relations Act. And this is called the Essential Services Committee. And I'm saying it's important, Chairperson, intentionally because the entire quarter uh, uh, is focused on that. I know, Chairperson, that as the legislature, in what I want to raise, I may be preaching to the converted. But the Essential Services Committee, it's an important committee that is appointed by the minister um, for the purposes of monitoring and managing the essential services. And by definition, Chairperson, it's important that I state this because it's very important for what we're about to present, that an essential services, as defined in terms of Section 2 and 3 of the LRA, it is a service, uh, the interruption of which will endanger the life, personal safety or health of the whole or any part of the population, unquote. This is a raw definition. So put simply that the essential services function, it is about the service, not about the people that do the service. It's not about any other thing. The focus is that it's about that type of service. This committee that is appointed by the minister, it is a committee that ensures that there is proper designation and that is made on who, which function in which industry is an essential service. So that once that is done, is to make sure that that service is not interrupted. Because if it's interrupted, it will result into the catastrophe I've just described, which is the endangerment of life, personal safety, and the health of a portion of the whole of the population of the Republic of South Africa. So it is very important to that that be noted. And you will find also in the Labor Relations Act that the existence or the creation of the essential services is regulated in the main between Section 70 to Section, section 75 of the Labor Relations Act. So the report that we're presenting it is because the essential services, as appointed by the minister, is executing that function through its committee that is established, led by the chairperson and the deputy chairperson, and is, is executing that function in terms of that or those provisions of the statute. So the function of the essential services committee under the auspices of the commission or the CCMA is performing that function based on that statutory foundation. So that's why it's important for us to have prioritized in our strategic thrust that essential services be a focus and is that with the first quarter, Chairperson. Now proceeding into the presentation, I will go straight to slide number 12, because the rest is the general Chairperson that I mentioned that I will not speak to unless requested to do so. Chairperson, you will see that there are five key targets for that for that um, a, a quarter. And one of the things that we will always preach, and I will always discuss this with, with the chairperson and the deputy chairperson of the Essential Services Committee, that when you look at the function of the Essential Services Committee, it is not an ordinary function that you will find 
in a case that you sit and conciliate and arbitrate. This one is much bigger because there's a lot of engagements that happen. There's a lot of stakeholders that happen and the manner and the method by which they do their cases and investigation is much, much bigger than a normal case where you walk in the commissioner system, there's two parties. This one is widespread and the higher pressure of the function of the ESC is that they must ensure that they protect the life, as I said, and the personal safety um, of, of the Republic. So we were therefore careful also that when we set targets, knowing the difficulty of achieving those targets, that we don't overburden to impossibility. So we've set targets within our SMART principle as generally accepted. So we've set these five key targets for that quarter. And Chairperson, we have achieved all of them. So we're sitting at 100%. So that is the report in as far as the indicators are concerned. What follows now is what supplements this achievement, Chairperson. Uh, in slide 13, and I were very happy and very great, it's not, for us it's not just about the achievement of those targets, it's the impact of the achievement of those targets because of the nature of the function that we are talking about. Uh, slide 13, I will not take you into detail, Chairperson, with those. You will see that the quarterly targets, it's two and three, there's an overachievement and there's an explanation why is that. One of the greatest challenges with that target and this type of interventions, whenever a target is set and there's a dependency, especially when there's a, a stakeholder that must ensure that they participate and they attend that session, um, if they don't attend, then the target collapses. So the management of ensuring that the stakeholder participates and also achieves what you want to achieve, it's quite a difficult one because you have no full control over it. For us, when it's achieved, we then get very excited about it because then it means we're making progress. There's safety uh, to life, there's safety to everything that I've mentioned um, and health uh, on that particular industry or sector. Because of past experiences, we then create uh, more targets so that we find space if we're not able to achieve, we're able to deal with others as well. We've done so here, hence it also leads to the overachievement of the target. Targets that are set was two and we achieved a three. And then the stakeholders is the same. We have one target there and the annual is three, but we end up with two. And then in two, three, at one, three, we, the annual target in terms of the number of entities engaged to ensure that the minimums to, to be maintained during the industrial action is 84 for the annual, but for the quarter was 21 and we achieved 22. And then the rest is very clear. One target achieved, two targets achieved there. So that chairperson is all green and we are happy that we are reporting this to the committee that the essential services committee is doing very well in doing that. And this is it, this function is done under very difficult circumstances because we went through COVID um, and all of that. What I can mention uh, in passing chairperson, um, uh, given that we're talking about the first quarter of the 2021, 2022, this was in the middle of COVID uh, when it was raging at that time. And I'm saying that intentionally because what you also found 
in the Disaster Management Act and the regulations that were issued in terms of it. One of the things that myself and the chairperson had serious difficulties about was to ensure that we separate the meaning of essential services as contemplated in the LRA and the essential services as contemplated in terms of the Disaster Management Act. You will recall that there are certain services that were declared essential by the Disaster Management Act. Then the labor market was confused, thinking that when you're talking essential services defined in the LRA, it means exactly the same thing as the essential services that is done in terms of the Disaster Management Act read together with its regulations. So we've had to maintain that and even others trying to use the same de definition in the disaster management uh, to have their services designated as essential, but using the LRA and vice versa. So we've had to deal with that in a very difficult uh, situation uh, that we had to manage, but the, the committee uh, has done very well and we're very proud of that. So that is as far as that part is, is concerned. Slightly outside that, Chairperson, and as far as the now the broader performance of the organization, I will not take you through. The Deputy Minister has stated that uh, in terms of our uh, referrals that we've received, uh, you will see there that uh, in the period we're talking about, we've received 39,830. And then this is an increase of 66% compared to the previous first quarter of the previous financial year. What this also, Chairperson, the picture that you see is a picture where because of the COVID, we had to shut down our offices and at some point we opened them. And then when the adjusted levels increased and then we had to shut them down again, it cost us a lot of money, it cost a lot of pain, it cost postponements, it cost a lot of things. But this is the picture that you see, despite all of those challenges that we've had. And I know that members will be direct um, and uh, very interested to know, now that you switch to digital platforms, does it cater for everybody? Yeah? No, uh, it doesn't. But we will report on that, Chairperson, the progress we've made on that in the subsequent quarters that followed after that and what will be happening from the 1st of April uh, 2022, which is a new quarter or the new financial year that we'll be starting at. So, but in as far as that the quarter in, in, in question is concerned, that is the performance in terms of the total referrals that we've received, mainly uh, electronically, uh, because we did not have walk-ins because of the open and closure that I spoke about. I will be brief on this slide as well, slide 15, Chairperson. Um, here, you'll see there's been a very brief decline in terms of our the cases referred, I've spoken to that. Um, here's the um, a year on year comparison. It, it's in on dashboard for me. And you also see the settlement rate, which is a slight decline, but like a 1% change. And then you will see also the, the turnaround, turnaround times, which are in the middle of the, of the pandemic, it declined because there's no, there's limited movement on what we can do. Uh, but it's not a material change, I think, in terms of the turnaround time, we're still within the best category uh, in that regard. Uh, you will also see, you know, as far as our conciliation is concerned, a 1% difference. Um, so there isn't too much damage caused. 
the chairperson will also note that in as far as our public interest matters, we are sitting at 97% that we've settled. All the um, industrial actions that happened, despite all the difficult challenges that we've had to face. I don't know, Chairperson, if I ever told members the, a, a good story. There was one of the one of the distribution centers um, to the essential services as defined by the disaster management that supplied to your pick and pays and all of that was on strike. Um, and therefore, it, it threatened that essential service and also the provision of the essentials uh, to, to, to South Africa. We were called to intervene midnight. And I must also appreciate that um, the Minister of Employment and Labor joined me in that we went together even a day after uh, to try to resolve that matter. And we were successful in resolving uh, that industrial dispute and supported by the minister. And then we resolved it. And it is one of those cases, there's, there's a couple of them, but that one was was quite worrying because of its impact or the possible impact it would have had if the strike had continued. So we resolved that, signed the settlement agreement, so it was all happiness. Now, um, and, 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 and the rest, Chairperson, I will not speak to because that was, oh, the last one will be the job saved. That's the last part in your, in your dashboard. You'll see that we're still performing at 42% uh, above the target that we've set ourselves. Um, that means that we've saved, we've saved 4,237 jobs out of 10,000 that we're facing a dismissal. So that is part of the presidential program that we do uh, to make sure that we save jobs and encourage our tariffs, um, you know, our normal tariffs and the COVID one. Uh, so we've, we've, we've made good progress there. For as long as we still save jobs, it's not so much about the percentages, but while we're still saving jobs, uh, we're quite grateful uh, that we do so. Um, and that is the report that we're presenting to members that we feel that from the service delivery point of view, it shall be appreciated. And Chairperson, I will not spend time on this one. This was greatly affected by um, the adjusted levels because this is this is the capacity buildings, the know your rights at uh, uh, trainings that we do in all provinces. So largely we use our online platforms to do so. Um, numbers usually are, are bigger than that. Um, but now uh, we're sitting at adjusted level one uh, we will be having our walk-ins back effective from April. I'm just reporting in advance. And therefore, we'll be able to increase our numbers in terms of the outreach uh, to the extent that we can afford to do so. But it's an important function. But you see the total is sitting at 339 in one quarter. And then progressing further, Chairperson, um, we are doing our best to, to manage uh, the pandemic or the COVID-19. We have been on a campaign for vaccinations, and I'm happy to say that my entire executive um, is fully vaccinated, including myself. We've heeded the call of the president and the minister of health, um, and, and also the numbers of our staff are increasing and in ensuring that we protect ourselves. So the internal controls that we've put in place uh, are outlined there. It's not the full detail, but it's outlined there in order to make sure that we protect our staffs, our users and our service providers. So we'll continue to do so 
and which was the reason why we could not proceed with open door um, in all our provinces. But that situation is going to change because we've taken a decision to reopen with strong um, compliance with all of these uh, requirements. We've had deaths, and I will share the stats later, um, in the organization and also the after effects of COVID. But despite all of that, I take pride in our staff that they still continue to deliver the service that has produced this report. And we're very grateful um, for that. Jefferson, um, that is the non-financial part um, of, of the report. Uh, as I sought your indulgence and permission, uh, I will hand over to our CFO to present the financial results um, of the quarter in question. And I will, I will supplement where, where it's necessary because it's the first quarter, so not much really happens from the financial side, other than meeting the financial obligations because the beginning of the financial year. Um, uh, uh, let me stop at that, Chairperson, and hand over to uh, to CFO. I hope I was not too long. Thank you, Chair. Over to you, CFO. Um, good afternoon, Chairperson. Um, on behalf of honorable members, to the Deputy Minister and the colleagues, um, thank you very much, Chairperson, for, for the opportunity to take you through the financial results of the CCMA for quarter one of 2021-2022 financial year. Um, as the director has said, there wasn't really much happening in quarter one. Um, this is the quarter where we were starting to deploy most of our activities. Um, and those activities were mainly directed at making sure that as an organization, um, we do not spend over the budget that we had. Um, you can see from the results that we had, Chairperson, we had planned to spend $279 million for that particular quarter, and we spent $221 million for that particular quarter, um, giving us a variance for that particular quarter of $58 million. Um, the main reason why we had this particular variance of $58 million in that quarter, Chairperson, one, um, if you look across all the expenditure items that we are reporting on, um, there was timing differences that attributed to us not spending in line with what we had planned for. And what does timing differences mean? It means that within services were not necessarily delivered at the time that we had planned for. And secondly, it means that um, when it came time for recording these particular expenditures, they were not necessarily recorded within the quarter. Um, because mainly, or some of them were not necessarily, you know, um, received within this particular quarter. Um, I think, as I've already mentioned, what is key is the fact that we were deploying um, our activities around our cost management, um, cost management strategies in that particular quarter. Um, what we, we 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 have done as an organisation one, um, when we saw those particular results, is we then immediately said some of the costs needs to be reprioritized to make sure that they are utilized. Um, where when we have assessed, we realized that we might not be able to utilize those funds. We have and we have also strengthened our budget monitoring processes to make sure that funds are actually utilized um, within the organization and we can, you know, uh, to wherever possible utilize the funds for the financial year. The, slide that we currently have, um, I'll talk to slides 20 and 21, 
those two slides, Chairperson, they are just confirming to the committee that the cash position of the organization, as at the end of this particular quarter, it was pretty much solid. Um, we will be able or we were able to meet our short-term obligations um, as we had recorded them in our books in those um, particular quarter. I will then direct a move to slide 24 um, because slide 24 talks to our irregular expenditure and fruitless and wasteful expenditure um, for the particular quarter that we are reporting to. Um, in as far as irregular expenditure is concerned, we had six cases that we had on our books. Of the six cases that we had on our books, three of them were fully dealt with, two already um, submitted to the National Treasury for them to consider condonation after we had implemented the recommendation of our loss and control committee, and one we were still implementing the recommendations of the committee. And three of them, um, the committee was still processing to determine if indeed there was non-compliance or um, with regards to those particular transaction. In the quarter that we are reporting to, which is quarter one, um, Chairperson, there was no new cases that the organization had actually identified and recorded in the books. And as far as fruitless and wasteful expenditure is concerned, we had four cases. Of key to note in the four cases that we had, Chairperson, was one case which related to interest and penalties um, with regards to a SARS uh, penalty on our VET obligations with SARS. This was specifically with regards to one service provider who was a foreign supplier. And this transaction actually happened, um, the transactions that related to the penalties happened prior to 2019, um, which SARS now notified us that we actually owed them with regards to the VET obligation. Um, at, the, at the time of the end of this particular quarter chairperson, we had actually written to SARS requesting that this particular interest and penalty that was identified, if they can please waiver it for us, I think in advance reporting, um, we have since re uh, received a response from SARS where they have actually waived for it. So we did not have to incur this particular obligation um, for the organization. I will then pause there, Chairperson, and then we will take the question um, for, from the CCMA. Thank you. Thank you, Chairperson. I, I do not want to supplement what you said. We'll take my questions, if any, from members. Thank you for the opportunity to present. Thank you. Honourable members, there is the presentation. Uh, trying to check for questions. Any questions? No hands. Honourable Nkondo. Honourable Nkondo. Honourable All right, Honourable Nkondo. Thanks, Chair. Um, uh, I welcome the presentation. Uh, Chair, can we go back to slide number 14? Uh, Chair, according to this slide, um the sectors that were assisted mostly is a uh, business 
um, safety and so forth. And with very small percentages is agriculture, farming, food beverage and so forth. I went to, together with what was presented on uh, slide 16, ask the question, say, uh, as to say, um, the outreach programs. I, and the, 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 the commissioner said uh, most of the outreach programs were done online. And then my question is, the, 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 those sectors with lower percentages in slide 14, um, what reasons, <coughs> I'm sorry, what reasons can the commissioner uh, attribute to that? Can the, 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 the awareness of the workers in their various sectors be attributed to the reason? For example, uh, and adding to that, their access to technology to be able to participate on these online platforms. Thank you. <coughs> Thank you, Ivan Thank you, Honorable Chair. Good, good, good afternoon, Chair and the Honorable Members. Uh, thanks for the presentation by the CCMA Chair. The question is uh, also just uh, almost from the same uh, perspective, but different emphasis. My point on the on the, on the, on the, on slide fourteen is uh, for the CCMA Commissioner just to, to, to help us understand as to what perhaps might be the limitations of the, of the vulnerable sectors in not accessing the, the facility, almost the same as what uh, Honorable Mkondo has raised. And then my second question uh, would be on the slide uh, 17 uh, with regard to, 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 to to issues relating to, to, to COVID and the, the response thereof. I wanted to check from the commissioner, uh, seeing that uh, the commission has made a groundbreaking uh, a verdict or with regard to whether, for instance, uh, vaccination uh, is in fact a or refusal to, to vaccinate at the workplace is in fact a dismissible offense. Uh, maybe if you can just uh, help just to reflect on this uh, groundbreaking uh, uh, ruling that the CCMA has made. Obviously not, the, not, not the, the areas that CCMA may be exposed in the event that uh, the decision is, is, is reviewed. Just to reflect on it and what lesson can be learned uh, from the verdict. Yeah, that's in addition to the to the earlier question, Chair. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Arununcele. No other question. Uh, uh, director for System A can respond. Thank you, Sister. Let me do so. I was worried that this question of vaccination and our award will come. 
my run is run is run out. <laughs> Just on the lighter note, Chairperson, um, let me start with Honourable Mkonto's question. Um, that there are sectors with low referral. What are the reasons uh, for that? Indeed, it is it is correct that. It, uh, uh, the question from Honorable Mdabe on on the verdict and the vulnerable sectors uh, relates to that question. I will attempt to give a comprehensive response uh, to that to that effect. Uh, on 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 Contos question, um, what are the reasons? The first reason is that we we had most of the time had our offices closed due to COVID. So most of our users who refer by walking in could not do so. And that that this one I'm mentioning it first because it's the one that had the much bigger impact. Uh, that's the first reason. The second reason is that our migration from walk-in to technology, while it was a, a progressive one which was uh, trying to enhance access. But what we will never defend and what we will acknowledge outright is that the technological approach is not the best inclusive method of accessing uh, the CCMA. Because we do know that the majority of our people that we service, while some may have access to technology, but not all of them. And those that are greatly affected by that are those that are in the vulnerable sectors. That's a given. And that, that we will accept. What we are unable to, uh, uh, unable to prove is the extent to which they are affected by it. The only way for us to do so is to do a dashboard analysis that before COVID, how many cases did we receive? And after COVID, how, uh, during COVID, when the offices were closed, how many did we receive? But what we can comfortably say is that technology and the closure of offices did affect others from referring cases to the system. Even though we were able to hear cases and we've issued directions that says that if parties agree, they can hear cases at the employer's premises, uh, you know, and at Department of Employment Labor Offices, they were also closed uh, for the majority of the time. So it did affect a lot of our users uh, in accessing, especially from, from vulnerable uh, uh, sectors. The other problem that we had was the issue of access. Chairperson, uh, as part of the Department of Employment and Labor family, we attempt at all times to work together with our inspectors because we need to maximize on the inspections. One of the problems that you find um, in accessing farms, are these new rules and regulations created to access those portions? So access is not that easy. And, and, and accessibility of the CCMA offices, when you look at the locations of the farms and who's allowed to enter, who's not allowed to, to enter, and all, the, all of those things, cases of intimidation, 
um, you remember, Chairperson, um, a few years ago, there was a case where members of this committee were doing an oversight visit to one particular farm. And then when workers spoke freely about the problems that they encountered in that farm, and, and which was welcomed by members of the committee and transferred to us and other agencies. Once you left, those employees were dismissed because of doing exactly that. So you can imagine what they go through when there's no one there. Um, they will not refer cases, even if they will suffer uh, these important consequences. And what we are also worried about in these vulnerable sectors, this will include not only farm workers, this includes domestic workers, also it also includes employees in the construction sector, particularly when it comes to the domestic one, because it's highly privatized. And when you want to access those places, you can't just access because it's a conflict between privacy and, and access by us to, or the department to do inspections. And the referral of cases also uh, is affected. And sometimes when they go to those houses, there's big dogs that you can't enter there. And then, and also being finding people are completely uncooperative. So, domestic sector, especially now that there's this progressive celebration of the increase of the minimum wage and also the parity principle, that they can now earn 23 rent and above like all other employees, inspections needs to be maximized to make sure that domestic workers, farm workers, and construction workers, that they do in fact get the minimum wage as prescribed by law. And you can only know that if they are able to access the department, they are able to access the CCMA, and we are able to do inspections as expected. If we're not able to do so, therefore the numbers that you see will not change much because where you are supposed to be feeding from, you are not feeding from that to get there. And also the, the, the important point, uh, Honorable Nkonto, that probably needs to be noted is that we are an entity that works on referrals. So numbers you see are dependent on people accessing us or coming to us, but, uh, but there are impediments, like um, some of them that I've mentioned. And this, this also uh, is impacting on the slide 16, on the trainings that we do, because without adjusted levels, like especially level one, two, and three, even in part in level four, movement was not free. You could not just move because of the pandemic issue. So it severely limited, limited that. And, and the additional factor that is affected, the referrals that is also affected slide 16, it, I don't want to talk about this again, but it's, it's the budget limitation because we had to cut down on the number of outreach we can do because of, of affordability. So it's not the only factor. It's one factor that I'm mentioning. And of course, the the pandemic itself. So the vulnerable sectors are affected in those in those regards. Now, let me go to uh, the big one, uh, asked by Honorable Mdabe. Let me confirm to you at this stage um, the number of cases that we've received so far on the vaccination disputes. We are sitting at 125 cases that has been referred to the CCMA relating to the mandatory vaccination issues. In this regard, uh, we have prioritized all cases relating to vaccines um, and, and all related disputes to that. And I must say, Chairperson, 
The cases relating to, man, to mandatory vaccinations, they also vary in terms of the nature. Some of our users claim it is they are being discriminated against uh, because of their status of not being vaccinated. Others claim that they have been suspended because they refuse to vaccinate and others claim they have been dismissed because of refusing to vaccinate. The biggest part of the disputes we've received on that, it is in relation to uh, dismissals relating to mandatory vaccinations. Now, what then transpired uh, out of those cases? We, there's something we call redlining cases at the CCMA. That means that matters of public interest, those that attract media attention also, and that affects the society at large. Um, we, we, we then redline them. Redlining meaning that it is regulated at the national level instead of being dealt with at the provincial level. Of course, we use commissioners from the different provinces as well. So out of those, one interesting trend that the committee might note that comes out of these cases is that most of workers, when they come to the CCMA and we set the matter down, they end up settling those cases financially without necessarily enforcing wanting to have uh, cases uh, to, be, to be decided in terms of awards. If I can just give you statistics, those that we've settled, and mainly there are one or two where there's been a, a re-employment, but financially is the bigger part. So we've got a total number of 19 cases that were settled. It's not on the slides. Um, uh, Jefferson, I can supply the statistics if need, if need be. And there's also cases that are withdrawn. Uh, we have 13 cases that have been withdrawn as a result of that. And we've only rendered two awards. These are the only two cases uh, that have run the full course um, uh, in as far as the vaccination cases are concerned. And those referred to the Labor Court, we have one. Uh, uh, so those that are in progress currently, it's 89 cases. Now, to the two uh, awards, when I'm in Parliament, I have a duty of good faith and a duty to be honest with the committee. And that's what I'm doing now. The one case that was seen as a groundbreaking one, the plan was to make sure that an award that is issued by the CCMA, not only must it be prioritized in, in that way, not that other cases are not important, not prioritized, but because of the pandemic, this one first award that we've issued that has confirmed that you can actually dismiss an employee if they refuse to vaccinate. It's a case that did not test of redline because it was done by a commissioner. We will never deny that. It was done by a commissioner. It was done by the system. It's an award issued by us. But in terms of its quality and content, it did not meet that standard. Our plan was to issue an award that will assist the labor market and the labor court and also guide the public on how to deal with a mandatory vaccination. Put differently, if somebody reads an award, they must be able to say, so if I want to make sure that the award is, or if I want to make sure that the vaccination is mandatory when it comes to a vaccination, when you read the award, you must be able to hear that or see that. Now, because this award 
happened at the CCMA, but it was not redlined. We were not aware. And the commissioner did this on his own accord. Uh, in the, it's a binding award. There's not, please don't get me wrong. It's a binding award. It's there. But in terms of quality, content, and the whole purpose of redlining cases, it did not meet that standard because we were not aware. I was not aware of it. I'm saying this in parliament uh, because I don't say it in public because I don't want to appear as if we're discarding our own commissioner. But the commissioner daily committed the misconduct here. So the quality of the award and the, and, uh, and the way it was, it was reasoned, it was very poor. Um, if you look at the analysis, there's only one line. And yet you've got a pack of materials that ought to have been considered to issue such an award. And to give an example, you know, the undertaking I gave to the deputy minister and the minister, when as far as my vaccination cases are concerned, that we'll do our best to make sure that we do the right thing and do a quality award. Because I have a duty as an entity to account to the executive authority about matters of national and international importance. So this disappointed us because it did not follow that route of what ought to have been done to make sure that at least you can make any decisions that the commissioner must make, but the law must be right. And the pack of the law we're talking about, it's first the disaster management and its related regulations that were issued. And also this includes directions which are critical that are issued in terms of that, which is an extra A, B, and C that is attached there that must be followed in order to make sure that you issue a decision that is reasonable or, or a decision that the reasonable decision maker must make. Together with that pack, you have to have regard to the Occupational Health and Safety Act, and together with the regulations and directions issued, that you analyze them so that when a member of the public, public wants to know, what must I do for a vaccination to be mandatory? You must be able to follow the, the chronology. And there's those employees that are below 10 and those that are above 10 in terms of number, in terms of the requirements. But in the main, the award attempts, and there's a second award on the suspension that was issued, that at least that is acceptable, uh, that outlines these materials that I'm talking about. On top of the food chain, it ought to have dealt with the issue of the risk assessment. Chairperson, in the different workplaces, there are vulnerable workers, vulnerable in the sense that they have comorbidities. Every employer and workplace must understand and know their workplaces. And we can only know that once you do a proper risk assessment. And out of that risk assessment, you must have a plan. But the plan that you do must definitely be a plan that involves consultation with the staff that you're dealing with. Once you've done so, you progress now to the next stage, once you've got the plan, because now you understand the risk. You have to develop a policy, a policy based on that risk assessment. Once the policy is developed, which again must be participatory, this is where you are able to see exactly the categories of employees and functions that you need to vaccinate and those that you don't need to vaccinate. And in the process of doing so, you will get different types of objections, which includes medical objections and constitutional rights objections. Medical objections must involve doctor's reports, further tests that must be done that the consequence of vaccine. The regulations and directions are very clear in as far as what you must do about the effects of COVID. And it does create definition what constitutes vulnerable workers. Once you've done the policy, and when people raise objections as far as constitutional rights are concerned, you don't, you don't ignore that. You accommodate that because it's a constitutional right. Once you've run that journey and you've taken care of all of that, and you've counseled employees about what 
the whole thing means the rights issue and the medical issue. It is only at that stage that you can make a mandatory policy for vaccinations because it's reasonable, is based on credible materials. So part of the plan in doing the case was to invite experts. We have two experts from the Human Science Research Councils who are prepared to come and testify and tell us they're advising the the, the, coronavirus, the, 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 the committee um, um, on, on, uh, with the president. So we, the command council, so we had planned to do so. So this award, in between, we could not do so. I have myself as director to the deputy minister, minister said, I will do cases myself to make sure that we assist the labor market. Fortunately, or unfortunately, the five cases I've done, they've all been settled and people don't want to proceed and do that. So we could not take it. The last one I've done was even yesterday, where we still tried to do the same. So as matters stand, full-time commissioners, part-time commissioners will be allocated those cases, 89 that are outstanding, in order for us to achieve that. But you will find different findings on vaccination because there's different factors that must be considered, as I said, and because there's been those misinterpretations. But we're still pursuing to get the best possible award that will call our champagne award. That will guide the labor market on what needs to be done. Hence also my involvement with the best team that I have to make sure that we do so. So while it may appear to be a groundbreaking because the first award made, but it's not the best award we can say it's the award that guides the labor market about what must be done. The suspension one done by Peter Fanta is a good one. So because the important laws are quoted, but the campaign continues to get the best award on discrimination, suspensions, and dismissals relating to COVID-19. So finally, on that chairperson, what also is important that I must state, when dealing with mandatory vaccinations, the, 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 um, the workplaces are encouraged not to be trigger happy in dismissing people for refusal. That I've said it in the media, I've said it in the ENCA, I went in all the platforms and said so, that you, people should not do that. What is now coming out is that some of the employees who are refusing to vaccinate, some employers are not complying, yes, but now we have operational requirements, dismissals that are happening. So they retrench you if you don't vaccinate. That's the new trend that is coming out of those cases. So we want to make sure that in all the different nature of disputes, unfair discrimination, dismissals, misconduct, operational requirements, that we issue a proper award uh, on what we think is the right way to do. Of course, that will not be the last word because it may be reviewed uh, to the Labour Court. But here's the problem with that. The problem with that is that re uh, re uh, reviews take two to five years to resolve. So if you take these cases on review, it means by the time they're finalized by the Labour Court, we'll probably be quite advanced in as far as the, the, uh, the pandemic is concerned. And the finality can only be raised there and I'm only talking Labour Court because others are prepared to go to the Constitutional Court, which means it will run to Concord now we're looking at five years or seven years to conclude a case where answers are required now. With capacity, Chaperson, with our outreach program, and, and also with the number of cases that we have, we had planned to deploy all commissioners on all these cases, but promote mediated solutions workplace mediations, where we sit down and say from the experts, this is what needs to be done. Because at the end of the day, it's not about the vaccination. It's not about the dismissal. It's about protecting life 
and balance it with the sustainability of the existing entity, that it must continue to operate without an employee infecting another employee or the employer failing to take reasonable steps as required by the Occupational Health and Safety to protect um, workers in the workplace. And the new question which Mr. Mafata can comment on is now whether employees have claims, which we've seen the amendment, uh, that employees can now claim in terms of the compensation because that will be seen as a work-based um, health issue um, relating to vaccinations. Jefferson, I have been very elaborate on this one because it was necessary, because it's something that is currently happening. And in part, I'm quite happy that Honorable Mdabe has asked this question about the verdicts that we've issued. But when you see difference in outcomes from the CCMA, it's not because we're confused. It's because the nature of the processes uh, that we have, as I've explained, differ. So you'll find different outcomes. But what we can't be wrong about is the interpretation and application of the law that we must do correctly, consistently as the commission. And then the courts will interpret eventually if it gets to that. I hope, Chairperson, that, that answers the question. If I need to add, I will, I will add. Thank you very much. No, thank you very much. Uh, just one correction. It's honorable Nonsele that asked the question. Oh, Nonsele. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I apologize, Chairperson. Sorry, sorry. I apologize. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Honorable Nano Nonsele. I apologize. Honorable Chair, I wanted to make a follow up question. Honorable Nonsele. Thank, thank you, Honorable Chair. Thanks for the incisive and the uh, quite uh, <coughs> revealing uh, analysis that uh, uh, the director has made in evaluating the the the, the outcome, uh, whether groundbreaking or what. I think I will leave that to him. The, the weighting of the of the of the content. The, the, the follow-up question is whether, for instance, given the analogy that he has given, uh, whether, for instance, is it not going to be, what does he think with regard to how, for instance, commissioners uh, should, 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 should deal with these matters? Uh, I'm not sure whether, for instance, would would talk about minimum standards that must be met by an award. Because uh, I would agree with him that almost uh, in almost all the awards, uh, you hardly get uh, the the weight uh, of argument or the rationale for 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 the verdict. Uh, too often you got uh, you get a one liner or a two one a two liner uh, verdict that says based on this uh, uh, consideration, therefore. Uh, the dismissal is upheld or it's not uh, upheld, whatever. So maybe if we can hear from him how he would deal or he thinks that uh, the kind of, of, of weaknesses can be dealt with. Because obviously the points that he has made, I think they are very much valid and they are the points that need to be taken into account if uh, standards have to be set and the labor market has to be assisted in the manner that he correctly directs. Thank you, Chair. 
No, Honorable uh, Kondo, is that the legacy hand? Well, I, I, I will allow you to, because you, you, you have responded to that, as much as this issue of the, of the, of the award in terms of the vaccination was not part of the presentation. But well, it's, it's something which is of public knowledge and public interest. I would allow you to briefly respond, uh, uh, Executive Director, on that Thank question. You. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Nontzela, uh, on the question. Uh, I apologize again for misquoting your name. Um, Thank you. The question is, is, is a very, very important one. And I want to say this with serious passion as possible. What we are preaching and we are arranging now a special session to talk to commissioners to answer exactly the question that you've just asked now. The first thing that we are going to do and what we expect commissioners to do is to be completely conversant with the law that is applicable to vaccinations. That's the first thing. And what leads the pack? It's the constitutional consideration of the rights of the employers and the rights of the employees, particularly on the rights of employees. The highest court in the land, the Constitutional Court, has held that when we resolve disputes of employment law, at the center of the Labor Relations Act, it is job security. That we must be very clear, because that's what the Constitutional Court has said. And in doing so, we are protecting the constitutionally protected rights of rights to fair labor practices. So a commissioner that sits with a case must reflect that. Secondly, the commissioner must be sensitive to the impact of COVID when you're dealing with a COVID-related case. I'll give you an example. There's a case that went to the Labor Court of, uh, a, of, of escort, right? In that case, the employee, knowing that he's, he's a COVID positive, went into the workplace, started hugging other employees, even those that have comorbidities, such as heart ailments and, and blood sugars and blood pressures. And he acted negligence in doing so in the workplace. The employer found him and he was dismissed. The labor court was very scathing about this reckless behavior of an employee in the workplace. While we talk constitutional protection and recognition of occupational health, it does not encourage reckless conduct. That's important. So that relates to fairness. On top of that, a commissioner in dealing with this case must display care. Really, an employer must reflect and show care in dealing with this case. Because not only are we dealing with the matter of life and death, the employment must sustain, and also the employee's work must be protected. But at the same time, we've got to be, have one clear objective to contain the spread of COVID. So the approach that we must take, must take into account all those principles. They are also led but this important principle of ensuring that the case is resolved expeditiously. Because of the complications I mentioned that 
cases might drag and for years and all of that, which is a problem that I think Parliament at some point needs to pay attention to. That if I have a case like the ones that we're talking about, I get an award that says I must go back to work, to work and the award is reviewed and it takes three years. It goes to the Labour Appeal Court, it takes seven years. It goes to Concord, it takes 10 years. Some of the people who have those awards, they die waiting for the outcome to be finalised. Some of these cases, they go that long route purely on a technical issue, not at the substance. After 10 years, like the, the, the Metropolis case that took 10 years, it has to go back and start afresh again from there. And people lose interest and the cases disappear. We cannot expose COVID-related cases into the same equation. There has to be that appreciation by the commissioner when they're dealing with the COVID-19 case, that it's about the pan pandemic, protecting others, and not act like the case that you see in escort that the court has been very scathing about. This is the entire package that the commissioner must display. And eventually, when he issues an award that is sensitive to those important imperatives, the commissioner must make sure that the award that you issue is not only resolving the dispute, it is done expeditiously. And it also educates the public because the awards that we issue and the courts uh, rulings that they issue is not just meant to resolve the dispute only, but it educates the members of the public on what they must do to do things right. But Jefferson, delay in finalization of cases because of the very legal system that we've created is not assisting in terms of social justice because you can't wait five to 10 years to have one award resolved on a case that you thought you won. With the pandemic cases or vaccination cases, it's going to be worse because by the time you reach 10 years, we'll probably be gone with and done with the COVID issue. So there has to be legislative, legislative and policy intervention that can give us a, a solution to that. With the CCMA, we will, we will be sensitive to that. And the commissioners, will, when they deal with these cases, they'll be sensitive to that. That is my proposition, Chairperson, that I can give that we will be educating our commissioners to do and have been doing to make sure that we get the perfect award. That's why I also wrote up my sleeves as a commissioner and as a lawyer, together with my uh, managers also who are commissioners in dealing with these cases, because we understand the sensitivity with me. Because if you miss the sensitivity, that is the matter of life and health in approaching that case, we'll be making a big mistake. With that package, with expedition, with sensitivity to national and, and international importance of this case. That's the kind of commissioner that we expect who will deal with it with respect and care, with diligence in dealing with that case. Not that the same quality is not expected for other cases, but this is a matter of urgency and emergency and life and death, both domestic okay. and international. Thank you very much, Jefferson. No, thank you. No, thank you very much, Executive uh, Director. We, I think we have Are you still with us, Chair? Or is it me who's lost? We are all lost, you weep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, sorry, 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 I'm no. 
So, no, thank you very much, Executive Director of CCMA. I think we have now come to the end of our presentations. And uh, I really want to to thank uh, both uh, both presentations. We will uh, maybe at the at, at the appropriate time. Uh, the DG is not here. The ministry is not here. Uh, we will then have to again uh, having uh, listened to the response. But what must be uh, understood is that, uh, yes, it's something, I, I think I need to repeat this. This is a matter of, of public interest, but I think it's going to be necessary that uh, we really, again, if possible, after having consulted, get a, a response and a, a report on the matter uh, in question that was was asked around the issue of the of the of the of the uh, vaccine and the and the and the award that has been that has been given, uh, Mr. Mafata, I am going to circulate to you an email that has been sent to me as a chair by a citizen that is outlining the challenge uh, that he has been subjected to for the last 12 years. I am going to, I'm going to circulate that to the minister, uh, to the PLO, and to you. And within, I don't even want seven days, uh, Mr. Wababa, I want a response of that thing. I want a response by Monday. I want to be responded to on what has then been done and what are you uh, uh, proposing to be done in terms of what that that worker has uh, reflected to me because it is a reflection of what really is taking place at the workplace, but it's also a reflection as we have always been said, uh, we have been saying, knowing very well that the CCMA is doing its level best to empower worker leaders and workers in terms of understanding their their role, their rights, and their responsibilities. But when a worker is 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 quite aware of her of his or her rights. And the institutions that are supposed to assist workers, at times, those institutions are dragging their feet is completely unacceptable. So that's why I am saying it here without any fear or favor that on Monday, Mr. Wabab, Monday, I want a response. I am not taking any no about this one. It's quite challenging. Having said that, members, we are meeting Mr. Waba, Mr. Sakaza, the 23rd is next week. Am I correct? That's correct, Chair. Next week, Wednesday. Wednesday, 8 o'clock, honorable members, we are meeting the office of the AG in terms of the, the, the outcome of the audit on, on UIF 
and compensation fund. And after that, we are getting a presentation from the department on their uh, added mandate. We have been asking for this for the last two years. Next week, we are getting that presentation. I so wish we could have been afforded an opportunity to be virtual, but unfortunately, to be, to be physical, but unfortunately we can't because of the challenges that the, 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 the parliament is faced with. Thank you very much and uh, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your constituents' work until we meet again next week on Wednesday, 8 o'clock. Thank you, honorable members. Thank you, Chairperson. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Chairperson. Thanks, Chair. Thanks. Thank you. 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 Thank Thank you.